Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined, as always, by our pastor and my fellow elder, Phil Henry, in our beautiful study slash recording studio here in Pittman, New Jersey. Phil, how are you doing today? I'm great, Tim. I think I got the grease off my fingers. You you came up for our recording this morning, and I was, uh, I, I don't think I was using too many curse words, but I was <laughs> definitely fighting the thorns and thistles of my broken mm. garage door, and thanks to your timely arrival, we got it done. I don't know if I want to take credit, but I'm, I'm glad I walked in and was able to, um, to give you a little bit of a hand, and also to see you hard at work on a on a Monday morning. I know Mondays are, not to say that you don't, but Mondays I know are particularly hard for, are. for a pastor who's preached on a Sunday and um, even harder for any man who has to fix a garage door. So mm-hmm. I've, I've struggled with that myself. And so yeah, uh, if I, if I had money overflowing in my pockets, I would just put on a new garage door. But as it is, we're going to patch up the old one and keep rolling. If it ain't completely broke, <laughs> use duct tape. <laughs> some super glue and some duct tape go a long way. But um, I'm glad that uh, we can put that aside for now and talk about some other things. And before we dive into our, our conversation for the day, our deeper conversation on what was a pretty deep sermon to begin with this week, um, we have a guest in our room with us today. So, Phil, would you do us the honor of introducing our guest sure. to our listeners? Um, good morning, Rich. Welcome to The Deeper Cut. Thank you. Rich is uh, a regular attender of our church and soon-to-be member with his wife and two beautiful daughters. And uh, thanks for joining us, Rich, this morning. No problem. Before we started recording, Rich, it was an encouragement to me to hear how the Deeper Cut has been ministering to you. Maybe you could just say briefly what you've liked about the episodes that you've heard so far. Well, um, I took Maddie to school on Friday down at Lynchburg. Um, So I got to listen from the first Deeper Cut up to first Peter. And, um, I'm impressed with the content. Um, Listening to your sermons the last couple months, I always feel um, like, hey, stay tuned, you know, and then you come the next week and, you know, we're on to another, it's not another topic, but we're going forward and like, yo, there's still stuff back here that, um, that, that I I don't want to say you didn't cover, but in your podcast, you said um, you're leading us to do work on our own, which I kind of like, because mm-hmm. for me, I like to chew the sermon throughout the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of excited that I'm feeling led to dive deeper. Um, Amen. So. Amen. Amen. That's really what we're looking for, Tim, is to particularly focused on our congregation, though we know we have other people of our eight listeners, which I think is the ninth. <laughs> um, we have other people listening in, but we want to encourage the men and the women of the church to uh, continue to apply the preached word throughout the week. And, and in the conversational format, we can definitely cover topics right. that weren't covered before. And before the recording started, Rich had mentioned that he really enjoyed hearing when we had other people in the room. So maybe you can make your plug tim yeah my my standard plug if you've listened to at least one episode prior to this one then you probably have heard me um maybe not beg and plead but certainly ask if if anyone would be interested in joining us we our doors are open always um i will go and get more microphones if needed good um so we enjoy having others in the room believe me and we've taken our show on the road before that's true so yeah, we can we can come to you. Yeah, so as long as coffee's provided, coffee and um, and uh, we don't even need a quiet space. You know, dogs are welcome, and yeah, um, anything else going on in the in the house or the place of business. But 
Uh, coffee is a, is a prerequisite. It is. Yeah. Good coffee. <laughs> you're, you're yeah, above good. average coffee. Above average. Okay. Yeah. Um, anywho, Rich, we're, we're thankful to have you. And um, thanks for the encouragement. And uh, just, I don't think you knew this, Phil, but Rich heard about the deeper cut for the first time, what, four days ago, five days ago? Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Thursday. So, oh, okay. you know, and he's already, you know, he's shown everybody up and, and that's right. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just joking. I had a long road trip. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just joking. But I, I appreciate um, your feedback and your encouragement and even more so you being here to share yeah, in the conversation today. So, and what a conversation uh, it, it may turn out to be. We, we have a, what I think is rather difficult and kind of deep, not, not like deep in weightiness, although I guess it is that too, but deep in terms of um, the depth of understanding. I, I mean, we could, we're talking about Mariana Trench here, I mm-hmm. think, in terms of trying to understand um, better what, you preached on yesterday, Phil. So maybe for our listeners who didn't catch the sermon this week or haven't had a chance to go listen to that recording, and I'd encourage you to hit pause now and go listen to our recording of Phil's sermon from um, August 20th, but maybe you could do a quick, you know, 60-second synopsis, Phil, of of your sermon. Sure. You want to start us off by reading the text? Sure. We don't sure. do that every week, but it might be helpful this yeah, week. Yeah, so we are in First Peter chapter 5, in verses um, 8, to 11. 8 through 11. Peter writes this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, uh, w- w- once again, we, we face the challenge of where to dip into a rushing river. <laughs> Peter is rushing towards his conclusion. Yeah. And you can hear the conclusion in the last verse, kind of the conclusion of the letter. And I believe that what's called the epistolary postscript, which is to say, P.S., you know, love Peter. P.S. 12, 13, 14. Right, the next, the next three verses. Right, so the next three verses are... Um, they're inspired by God, uh, fully part of the letter, but in terms of how to read them, where to read them is outside the main argument that Peter has been making. So it is interesting and worth noting that he chooses to end his letter with this round, roundhouse exhortation to spiritual warfare. Hmm. So we've got five chapters, and the thing, the last note that he rings is to be watchful, uh, well, you know, as I said on Sunday, to stand and fight. So that's situating Tim, the letter, Tim and Rich, that's situating it in its largest context of Peter. So the last thing he says. Mm-hmm. One more little note on that, and then maybe I can get either of you to chime in or ask a question it's not that far separated from the topic that began in verse 12 of chapter 4 so going back to verse 12 beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were Mm. happening to you that's always how I read it in my mind. For some reason, <laughs> I, I never can read that passage without having a funny voice there. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, so on and so forth, skipping down. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will it be? What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
Therefore, 19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Hmm. So I exhort the elders among you, so on and so forth, shepherd the flock. Verse 6 of chapter 5, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So this whole section from 412 down to 511 is our kind of our last you know, the last matters for Peter. And they sum up much of what's been said. There's some repetition here. I think this is the third time in the letter he's told us to be sober-minded, for instance. Hmm. So, but there's, it, it seems to me to be there's a special connection because we mentioned lion and we talked about lambs in 5, 1 through 5, and shepherds. Hmm. So there's, there's a link between this instruction, which is to the general, to the church in general, and the instructions to shepherds, uh, the chief shepherd appears, who's who's the one who can actually defeat the lion, who's described in verse eight. Um, last thing I think we see here, the agent the ultimate agent behind all of the sufferings that are described in Peter. After you've suffered a little while, in the context of resisting and standing firm against the adversary, the enemy, Satan, the liar and the tempter. So, the struggles with the emperor in chapter 2, the struggles with unbelieving husbands in chapter 3, the struggles that believing husbands have to treat their wives in, with a dignified, in a dignified manner, also in chapter 3, the struggles within the church. We see that in chapter 2. Um, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy mm. and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that you may uh, mature and grow thereby. Uh, the struggle to put away the empty way of life as newborn Christians. One thirteen, four one through 6. And he's already mentioned cosmic powers. I, I, I'm giving you maybe a little more than you're looking for, but this <laughs> is part of the problem that I think you sensed even on Sunday. But look specifically at 3, um, 320, 3.19. We'll start at three, 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Skipping down to 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So it's also the second time Peter has explicitly dealt with the invisible realm of powers, some of whom are righteous powers and some of whom are wicked powers. So the resurrection and ascension of Christ has already situated Jesus as the prince over all of the powers, including right. Satan as the prince of the power of the air. He's Jesus is the prince of Satan. He's the prince of princes, king of kings, lord of lords. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Colossians 1.16 says he's far above all rulers and authorities and powers and not. Uh, and so forth. So that's our context. Uh, maybe that's drink it from a fire hose already, <laughs> Tim, but thoughts on that or questions from either you or Rich? So um, if I were to be building an outline here, the first one, the first point would be we have an adversary. And I guess before we even go beyond that, and you, you just have now given us a great kind of Reader's Digest version, Phil, of where this shows up with Peter. It seems to me at least a little bit that well, two things. One, Peter's not um, kind of explicitly or in verbose ways explaining 
a theology of evil or the devil. Like he's kind of, he makes the comment. It's not even a comment. Like he's, he talks about it, but he's not like, this isn't Peter taking sentence upon sentence or paragraph upon paragraph to talk about this. There's almost like an underlying assumption that when he says this to the shepherds and to the exiles, right? Um, Christian exiles who are the audience that they're going to take heed. And if he's ending with this, then that's obviously extremely important. So where, what might we be missing because we're not them. Right. And, and I don't, we don't need to look up every reference to mm -hmm. say in the Bible, cause there's a lot of them, but I think you, you made a huge effort, at least in my eyes, Phil, from the pulpit to help kind of raise the tides of our knowledge here of what the Bible says and the reality that Peter's talking about, that there is an adversary who is against us. And that, again, I, I, I'm going to come back to this um, week after week here with First Peter, that there's an urgency here that we should have and, it, and a level of not just importance, but of acknowledgement, of, of interaction, of it being firm and, and, and clear in your mind and fr in front of your face as we go about our days. Um, that, so how do we, I don't know, how do we bridge that gap? Because I, when I read, I'll be honest, I read Peter and I read this and I go, okay, sure. But it, it's not really, it doesn't hit me over the head like I think Peter's actually doing. Mm. And which I think was you, part of your effort to do it with the church. Definitely my job to do that. Yeah, definitely my job. Um, I will say this. And this isn't the answer that you're looking for, but um, number one, the Word of God is a means of grace, especially the preaching. Mm -hmm. And so we really value someone who didn't just sort of show up and kind of open up the Bible at random and say the first thing that pops into his head, but someone who's really been pastorally, not in a scholarly mode per se, although scholarship is part of preaching, but pastorally as a shepherd prayerfully preparing something to share that will impact people in ways that maybe they couldn't do on them on their own or by themselves so um, and part of my answer to your question is you, you can't get that just from reading your Bible unless you're doing in-depth kind of um, exegetical Bible study with commentaries in the original language, and, and you can get some of that. So keep keep coming to church. <laughs> I, I, and I, I know that's not what you're looking for, but keep coming to church, keep praying for the pastor, whether it's me or whoever's preaching. That's one thing. Two, I think the deeper cut here is in part to give some of those more in-depth tools and that is a little bit more what you're looking for. So I would start with um, the first word. Always. You always got to start with the first word. Be sober-minded. And we've already seen sober-mindedness in the text. If I can pull it off the top of my head. cross-references because I didn't prepare this so um, look at 113 there it is so you know uh, both of you have your Bibles open they're both paper copies so one way you can get better at this is you can underline sober-mindedness in 113 and then with a red pencil or a green pencil, and then you can underline it in 5-8. And you can see that 
1.13 is the first verse of 1 Peter, because I mentioned postscript, the prescript to Peter is 1.1 1, 1 and 2. The epistolary introduction is 3 through 12, Tim. The first thing he says is, he's a, is a call to sober-mindedness. That probably would have been helpful. We're, we're not critiquing the sermon, although we can. It would have been helpful for me to say that to orient people. And I knew that going into the message. I didn't see maybe how important it, it would be to a listener. Hmm. But you can see that Peter begins and ends the letter with the same admonishment to, to sober-mindedness, which is not a call to abstaining from alcoholic beverages. He's using uh, the call to moderate use of alcoholic beverages in a metaphorical way that your mind can't ever be clouded by false things or by contaminating thoughts or substances for that matter. So life in exile is hard enough that if you're hung over or buzzed from something, doesn't matter what it is, you're not going to be walking in a holy way doing the good works that God has called you to do. Hmm. And the new information we get at the end of the book is dullness of mind and fogginess of, of spiritual brain and confusion in the heart and chaos in your life are a function of the enemy. So that's the new information that Peter provides that he attaches to this uh, so sobriety. It's used at one other place in the book. I can't remember where it is. But when I preached on sober-mindedness the last time, I talked about a frame. And so maintain your, your biblical gospel frame as you're looking through the circumstances in your life. Don't lose frame, meaning don't lose your composure. Uh, stay, in, stay in character, so to speak, mm. the character of a, of a born-again, blood-bought son or daughter of the king, living in your own kingdom, but it's currently occupied by hostile forces. So keep your head about you, keep your wits about you. So how, how, do you, how do you see these things? Slow down in your Bible reading or take some time to even if you're and, and notice similar words in the same book. That, that's always kind of where you want to start. Yeah. Thoughts on that or uh, comments from either you or Rich? I see uh, the end going through the first. Um, Peter's describing um, how to be a Christian. And they're exiled. And I, a lot of people know the battle has been won. And he's reminding us in the here and now, even though the battle has been won, this is how you're supposed to relate to one another, how to live. Um, so I think the reason why, well, not the reason, I don't know what the reason, but spiritual warfare at the end is letting you know, like being sober, you have to be in the moment. Yeah, the battle has been won, so... Uh, we serve a risen Savior. Um, I'm a child of God. I can't just go do what I want now and just put it on the blood. Um, and being in a foreign land isn't an excuse. You know, so a lot of times, um, I know for me, you know, you get sick, you put a band in, one and it's over. This is a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. You know, Christ came in the fullness of time. He's going to come back in the fullness of time. Along the path that we walk, he's showing us how to telling us how to walk, That's and also good. to be mindful of the. Um, even though it's a big subject, there's a, just a couple little verses, but to be in the here and now. Yeah. So, what is more important in this letter, how to walk, or just to be sober minded and know that we have an adversary without getting too far afield mm -hmm. in Satan and his minions and mm -hmm. the spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. And I might be wrong with that, but that's how I see it. No, that's that's good. So so in one thirteen, just building off of Rich's comments, preparing your minds for action. So he's he's alerting us that life in exile isn't just grin and bear it or you know, clench your teeth, squint your eyes closed, and wait for Jesus to come back. He wants us to set our hope fully on the grace 
that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, so you be holy in all your conduct. That is as written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so, that paragraph, that phrase, really, really becomes the well that Peter is drawing from, I think, when he ends the letter, too, Tim. Mm. We're all exiles until we go home with Christ. Right, so we're setting our hope on that moment. But in the meantime, it it may be God's will that we suffer a little while, yeah. buffeted around by the adversary's attacks. But we don't need to fear, as Rich has pointed out, the battle has already been won. Uh, I think I may have said this is kind of the, this is the, you know, the mop-up. Mop-up, yeah. Right. Yep. yep. We also grow spiritually deeper when we go through trials um you're not the same now as you were the moment you were saved and you're not any more saved you just have a deeper um relationship with christ or you should have a deeper relationship with christ and um your trials and tribulations um i really believe might not be for you it might be part of a spider web for somebody else. And God uses you to go through that to get to somebody else that you might not even know. It, it's interesting. Polly and I were reading a chapter out of one of Elizabeth Elliot's books last night. We've been doing this to encourage each other. We're going through some lifestyle changes with our children being grown. And in this particular chapter on uh, it's trusting God in a twisted world is the name of the book it looks like it's a collection of essays some of which are written by Elizabeth Elliot this particular chapter essay made the point that Paul was instrumental in healing other people even like his handkerchief was used at one point to heal someone but he himself had, the thorn. had a thorn in the flesh which is, if you read it in 2 Corinthians 12, it says it is a messenger of Satan to cause you to trust in, in me, the Lord, God. For, and then he says the famous lines, For my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect of weakness. For when I am weak, then he is strong. Right. Paul's thorn in the flesh, which we're never told what it was, and speculation abounds as to what this could be, to Rich's point, Tim, was for other people. It helped him to trust in Christ more, which enabled him to be a better vessel for others. He, he helped heal people, and yet he himself was not healed. So he had to make sense of that. He had to be sober-minded. Mm. So what do you think? I think... Um think I'm thankful for verse 10 <laughs> and after you've suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you as I'm thinking guys as we're talking about these things you know Peter has laid out kind of multiple commands here or at least ex strong exhortations going back to even last week humble yourselves and then that's in six. Eight, be sober-minded, be watchful. Nine, resist him, firm in your faith. So th these are things that, especially when we now, and, and then he, in the midst of all this, he says, the adversary's working against you, but you're called to do these things. And I go, come on. like this, Not, this, Yes, <laughs> but let, let's re reframe it a little bit using the sober-minded frame that we're looking for. Um, language is important in how we frame our circumstances. 
it isn't just that he's called me to do it. He has called me through it. So I know that whatever happens in the choppy waters, where I'm going to end up on the other side. Well, that's what I mean. That's why I said I'm thankful for verse 10. Yes. Because yes. that anchors, that's the anchoring point. So that way, these things that he is saying that I need to do, I, I can do. And when I'm struggling with it, I have the hope uh, right. that exists Precisely. in verse 10. The God of all grace now, is... read um, chapter 1, Tim. Read 3 through 5, which is the first instance of this hope that is so uh, precious. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So can the adversary harm us in any way? He can try, and he does get it. He does land some body blows, but after a little while, that's going to be done. Yeah. Because God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, our Triune God, is is not absent in exile. He is with us, and actually, and this is where I, I take issue. A little bit with some treatments of First Peter. You may have heard that First Peter is the epistle of suffering. Suffering is mentioned in Peter more than any other letter in in the New Testament, and I mean the word itself and its and its cognates or its or its uh, synonyms. First Peter, is, that's true, but First Peter is a letter of good works. First Peter is a letter about ministry and mission in exile. First Peter is a letter about living in a contagious, heaven-drenched lifestyle in the midst of a crowd of unbelievers who've never seen or heard about that before. That's First Peter. And the result of that, I may have mentioned this Sunday a little bit, I alluded to it, the result of that heaven-drenched lifestyle is that a few people will be drawn to you Many, many more people will be offended by you. The suffering results because the enemy is activated because he sees that you now are a threat to his kingdom, this prince of the power of the air, the prince of the world, Satan. And so he goes after you through subtle means and sometimes through overt means. And I mentioned some of those in the beginning of the message. But we are to do good anyway. We're to plow through the storm because we know our God is greater. So we serve a... We, we face a mighty foe, you know, who seeks to work us woe. Yeah. His craft and power are great. You know, the people love it when I quote that song because we love that Luther hymn. But our, our God is a mightier God. And um, uh, we have nothing to fear, though it's going to be painful. Mm. We've got to maintain that frame of mind. I want to pivot to something else unless you've got some further comments there, Tim. Pivot all you want, Phil. Okay. Can we read about the sower? Because I mentioned this in my, mm -hmm. in my opening prayer for illumination. Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if it was on the actual sermon podcast or not, but to set this up, the prayer for illumination is what I pray before I preach every time. And Christians when they read their Bible, should do the same thing. God, I'm about to enter the holy ground of your holy word. Illuminate my mind, because otherwise my distractions and everything else in my life are going to keep me from paying attention and benefiting from what I'm about to do. So that's essentially the pastor's prayer of illumination. And before the prayer of illumination, I said, be careful because you're about to hear the word of God read and preached don't and it's about the work of the enemy don't let the enemy snatch it away so i was referring to the parable of the sower so let's look at uh real quick let's look at mark four
so on verse 3, Jesus says, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And verse 6, And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. He who has ears, Jesus said, let him hear. And then he talks about it, and then he explains it, skipping down to verse uh, 15, uh, 14. The sower sows the word. So we're told that the seed is the Bible, the scripture. And it isn't this verse or that verse, Old Testament or New Testament, just the words of Jesus, like the red letters. But it's God's word is revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And I would say God's word explained accurately and faithful to the text. So it's the gospel. Can we just say the gospel? So the word is the yeah. gospel, just for shorthand. 15, and these are the ones along the path. So now the four soils become people or one person at any given point in our lives because we've all had rocky soil in our hearts one Sunday and soft soil the next Sunday, right? So people are the soil. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear, what does it say, Tim? Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So, taking away is the verb in verse 15. What's the verb in with the birds, though? Because Satan is like the birds. Devoured. So, do you follow my tracking with Peter? Because in Peter, Satan is a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. devour. So, I saw that and I just... I was like, wow. So um, try to put these two texts together. 1 Peter 5, 8 and the parable of the sower, particularly the, sow, the seed sown along the path. I would say the... Um, Satan Satan comes and um, is is looking to um, to use Mark's word take away the gospel that is sown to God's people um, and that is what Peter is saying. If I flip back, that's like the prowling, right? And seeking, seeking someone. So he's looking for the opportunity to, to maybe not always, um, I think we read it or I read it and go devour me, but, but there's at least a connection here of Satan devouring the gospel or, or taking away the gospel, the good news um, the truth of the Bible from us, if not directly us ourselves. Right. Right. So we're using some pretty nuanced Bible study techniques here. But I, I like how you put that. And if you take away my daily bread, you don't have to devour me. I'll just starve. Hmm. And so now my mind went, to 1 Peter 2 where I'm told what my food is and in 1 Peter 2 my food is this put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander all favorite appetizers of the <laughs> enemy things that I love to snack on like this is the Pringles and Pop-Tarts in my cabinet mm -hmm. we're talking diet 
So put away the junk food, which is killing you from the inside out. Instead, like newborn infants, 1 Peter 2.2, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I understand, and I preached on this when I preached 1 Peter 2, the pure spiritual milk is the creme de la creme of the scriptures, which is to say the gospel. Who he is, what he did for me, and what that means for my life. How I'm to live in light of what Jesus has done. When Satan gobbles up the word, the gospel, I, I'm barely making it. I'm dragging myself to church. I'm looking at my watch or checking my text or worse in a sermon. I'm not even going. I'm staying home. How many people have I met in the grocery store or at the hardware store or in my comings and goings when they find out I'm a pastor? They're like, well, I used to go to church before COVID. I need to get back to that. Well, Satan has devoured the word in their lives. Well, I tune in in my jammies occasionally when I'm sitting in bed. I've got some great podcast preachers that I listen to here and there. And I think, I think the enemy has won a mighty victory mm-hmm. through, through what happened at COVID. And we may have different, different people have different reasons as to what, but I think all true Christians will agree that COVID has taken, a, uh, if I may say so, a big bite out of the gospel ministry of the church. Do you think, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, so we can come back. I don't want to take us too far off, but do you think, because I was thinking about this yesterday, that's why Peter in 19, I couldn't figure out why he goes to the brotherhood throughout the world. Like what, what, that is not what I was expecting Peter to say in terms of an encouragement, right? So verse nine says, resist him, meaning the adversary of the devil, Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. To me, if I'm being encouraged or exhorted to resist the devil, my mind does not immediately go, well, remember that your brothers throughout the world are also suffering this way. It just seemed, yeah, to my mind, out of place. And I know it's not, but... I couldn't figure out why, like, yeah, what... what's Peter thinking? Yeah. I said at the end of the message, I put this part in my application. I said, you, you can't fight alone. All right. I was just going to say, um, in our weakness, he is glorified. And the body of Christ, we're supposed to help one another with our burdens. So the more we're connected going through it, the stronger... The body of Christ is. Not that we'll defeat him. God will. But I think that helps to strengthen the body of Christ. Hmm. I found the third reference to sober-mindedness. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be controlled, self-controlled, and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Prayers are in the plural, and when I preach this, I, I think I mentioned that it has some reference to the regular prayer ministry of the Church of Jesus Christ, and I'm, I'm encouraged in that conclusion because of what it says, above all, keep loving one another. One another is mentioned three times. Earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins, sins show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Right. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's multifaceted grace. So, Peter is about the church being the church, doing good as the church in the midst of a world that doesn't understand the church, whose bodies and gatherings and churches, quote-unquote, bear no resemblance to the true living church of the Lord. So... It, it isn't just that you're not alone. It's that you can't fight alone, I think. So take heart. You're not alone. Other people like you are going through the same thing. Yes, that's true. But it's also, you're not fighting alone. You, 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 it's like the, the Roman phalanx, you know, when uh, 
one of my favorite movies, Gladiator, when, when uh, Maximus and the guys, he says, you served in the army? Yes, sir, you know, 42nd Infantry, 7th Battalion, you know? Uh, and so in the ring, I can see it in my mind, they form that Roman shield where they're covering on top and covering around the sides. Well, that's an appropriate image that will confront the highly strategic and militarized opposition that we face in our enemy. We hmm. need to lock our shields together in hmm. brotherhood around the world. And by the way, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's a hint that by mentioning world, I think Peter is saying, you're exiles now, but it's not going to be that way forever. If you look at verse 10, you, you said you really liked verse 10, and you know, there's so much more we could cover here. I yeah. think the silence is indicative of... <laughs> We're just scratching the surface. Right, and we are. But those four words really stand out, don't they, at the end? The God of all grace, the one who called you unto his eternal glory in Christ, after suffering a little while will himself, and what are the words? Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. So, the confirm and the strengthen are very close. I, I, I couldn't I couldn't discern a difference in meaning, which is kind of an interesting point. And one reason mm. I chose not to preach so much on those verses is because I didn't know the difference between ESV confirm and ESV strengthen because the word sterixe in Greek, which is they translate confirm, my dictionaries told me was more like strengthen. And then the word Thinose, which they have as strengthen, my dictionaries say means strengthen. <laughs> so, so I treated them as synonyms in my mind. But restore is, can also mean strengthen as well. But it has this unique aspect of restoration. Could it be that the only people that get to heaven are people that feel beat down and like they can barely make it. That restoration, the reason he's telling us that after a little while you're going to be restored means you can't get to heaven except through the eye of a needle and he's going to take everything away. All the chaff. And you're going to feel like you're on your last breath but he will restore it all the lung capacity, all the emaciated muscular tissue, all of the pleasures that you didn't get to enjoy, all the, the marriage that wasn't yours or that you could have had or you should have had, the children that you didn't have or you did have that didn't turn out the way you should or even the life that you lived, the job, the vocation, hmm. the money that you didn't make or that you made and you lost and either justly because you were a fool or unjustly because someone robbed you. He's going to restore all that. But you've got, I think, Rich, you said this either in the recording or before, we've got some more ways to go in humbling. So I see restoration as a very powerful, one of the final words here, um, kind of going along with humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up at the proper time. Hmm. But I know myself, um, as humble as I feel sometimes, God sometimes says, there's more, there, there's, there's more room here. There's more room to go. Hmm. There's some more humbling. Well, I think, to be honest, we could be humbled even in that idea of restoration. Because it's the God of all grace 
Like we're not. It's. I think I'm tempted to go. All right. Well, yeah. That's kind of the reward for the struggle. And then when I actually think about it, I don't deserve a reward at all. At all. Um, even if I did struggle. And this is God's grace. And it's His grace that He called us to His His eternal glory in Christ. So it's not even our own, like, uh, you know, I'm restoring you to your own glory because you've suffered. No, I'm restoring you and establishing you in my eternal glory. I mean, talk about grace upon grace here. So um, this is much bigger. Peter's used very few, <laughs> very few, few words with not a lot of fanfare, but this is a huge it is. statement, which is why I said I like I love verse 10 so much because it, it actually helps me from verse 6 through 9 to actually go, okay, I don't need to feel like this is a mountain that I can't ever climb. Mm-hmm. Um, Quick thought. Um, I mentioned shepherds, one, 5, 1 through 5. Does the shepherd of the church, shepherds, because they're plural in uh, verse 3 or 4 or 5, it's, it's plural, do the shepherds, the elders of the church, have a job that is particularly oriented towards the spiritual battle? What are your thoughts on that? And what happens in a church when elders are just focused on um, money or the denomination or the book of order or these kinds of things? Any, any thoughts there, Tim? You are an elder. Rich, you've, you've been in many churches. You've seen probably good elders and not so good elders. In a nutshell, yes. Um, you got to look out for the fl- uh, elders are called to look out for the flock. Um, so they're going to be, they're probably going to be more targeted than the flock. Um, but in terms of their job, it's not just as an administrator of no. the church's budget. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm sure that I'm saying. Yeah, there have to be spiritual work, prayer warriors. Um, and what 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 do we see in Acts chapter six? The the first diaconate is established with Stephen and the others because the elders wanted to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So I see Peter really capturing the practice of the early church by situating the battle against the adversary here right after he talks about how the elders are to protect the flock since it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God in these last days, so on and so forth, the urgency. Um, Do we need to rethink our work as elders and prioritize the spiritual battle? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's a rethinking, but it definitely needs to be a prior, like we need to have our priorities straight. So I don't want to, you know, make the assumption that we're, we've screwed it up <laughs> completely or that we're misunderstanding. Okay. Although I think that I there is a, a depth here that, that yeah. we're probably missing. So um, some pastoral hyperbole, perhaps, is, yeah. is coming from me. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> um, but no, you're you're right, and and uh, I do think that I'll just speak for myself here. I am often tempted, at the very least, to um, kind of equalize or kind of stamp down the importance or the stress of protecting the flock, spiritually speaking, um, because it's inconvenient. You know, I'm putting these in my own words. Sure. inconvenient or it's too difficult or Messy. I'm too tired or I don't feel like getting a, a bite taken out of me from, you know, like, hey, Mr. Sheep, I'm trying to save you here. And instead the sheep thinks I'm the wolf and I get, 
take right. it, you know, get it yeah. you know, things like that. And I'm not talking about any examples in mind no. at, at all, really. I'm, I'm just that's being the nature of the case. Um, and so I, I'm tempted to adjust my frame to kind of cut that out when it's convenient for me. Um, so that way I don't have to think about it or have my conscience pricked that I'm not doing that well. Um, and at the same time, I'm also forgetting the gospel in verse 10 that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. So maybe rethinking is 100% accurate there, but well, at least, I talked myself into it. Yeah, at least making sure we don't forget uh, as men, men in the church called to lead our families, uh, elders are like spiritual fathers. And um, even if you're not an elder, if you have experience in the faith, that needs to be leveraged in a shepherd-like way, whatever that looks mm-hmm. like. So we're not limiting leadership to ordination, but particularly when someone is, when a man is ordained as an elder, he can't allow his job to be reduced to a functional administrative um, kind of aspect. So I didn't specifically mention elders. It felt like I was I'd be straying too too far from, and I already gave you know very, one sermon was kind of all to the elders a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make sure that in this conversation, Tim, particularly as you and I are elders in this church, and and Rich for you as somebody that's going to be joining the church, how you can hold us accountable as elders is to make sure we're. We're not ignoring the spiritual battle that's going on, not just in the world, but in the fellowship that we serve and in the lives of the people that we're caring for. So um, our enemy, the devil, the hour could easily be saying, you know, speaking as your elders now, our enemy, the devil, prowls around seeking whom we need to resist him standing firm in the faith, knowing that that the same struggle is being faced by the brothers throughout the world. Hmm. Um, I wanted to make a quick comment about sobriety, just because I haven't, I've emphasized the metaphor aspect of it, but I do think uh, our diet, our food and drink can affect our, our, how attenuated or attuned, attenuated being a little dull, tuned being on the sh- on the sharp clear thinking side um, Presbyterians love to quote Psalm 104 uh, wine maketh the heart glad but they're not as quick to quote Proverbs 23:32. do not gaze at the wine when it is red when it sparkles in the cup when it goes down smoothly for it bites like a serpent so moderation in all things because there's a close connection between the body and the soul. And when we allow ourselves to be taken off the path in excess in, in anything, whether it's TV or, or, or any of these things, we're not going to be um, able to stand and fight the way that we should. It's a good word. It's a challenging one too. Um, I think we're. It's easy to maybe focus and make corrections in one area, and then kind of go, "Oh, I'm good here." So mm-hmm. uh, I cut out, you know, the late night TV watching, or the late night snacking, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or I went to the gym every day this week. Oh, but I also ate a whole pizza every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so uh, we're, we're masters of making excuses. Yeah, and it, it isn't so much about what your diet or whether you're dieting, whether you're overweight. It's because there's some extremely, you know, hypocritical people that live a very disciplined yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, no, it's the, it's, it's a it's hard, hard attitude. It's the hard attitude. Yeah. It really is. And working, working towards um, the sanctification. And where does God want me to be humbled today? You know, um, Rich, you and I have a similar view towards our smartphones. We want it to be a phone and not this thing that constantly distracts us. But I have to, 
you know. Um, oh, and I've <laughs> so instead of having games on my phone, the games are on my wife's phone. <laughs> and so I'm playing her phone in bed, but then I have it's not on my phone. And about a month ago, she deleted this game where I was like on level 10,000. And I'm like, you did what? She goes, nope, it's gone. And I said, thank you, honey. <laughs> that was humbling. Humbling I needed. My level, whatever it was, 10,000 or 1,000, I don't know. But I did not need that. Uh, when I get in bed, I need to go to bed because I need my rest. And God loves me and he gives sleep to those whom he loves. And there's work to be done. And I need to stand and fight, and I can't afford to be. Again, this isn't about video games. You know, there's room in the body of Christ for video game players and non-video game players and smartphone people. And the point is, it, it is a matter of the heart. Amen. Um, I'm going to add one last thing, and we're going to wrap up. This is not a new, a new uh, thread of conversation, but uh, I couldn't help but think, in light of the sermon about... Um, I'm a fan of Lewis, so screw tape, screw tape letters. And so I, just yesterday afternoon, I was just read. I read the first couple chapters again, and I forget it might even be the first chapter. Um, and if you've not read the book, I'd encourage you. It, it's a great book. It's basically a, a fictional letters of a of a demon to a like his a nephew yeah. demon who's a trainee, and it's written like as though they're, you know, they're working against us and against God, right? And so the, the enemy in the screw tape letters is, is actually God. God. Yes. And the Lord in the screw tape letters is actually Satan. And so it does require a bit of a yeah, fl- opposite-minded, and, and Lewis actually said it was the hardest book he ever wrote. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. But one of the first things that screw tape writes so screw tape is the older um demon that he writes to this trainee is don't let so you they have like a you're the patient right the human being is like the the patient or the The subject right right and he said don't let them think because once they start thinking then logic comes into the equation and then before you know it, you've lost them, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. But it's like in chapter one or chapter two, it's like, don't just play on their urges, play on, you know, the things that they're kind of addicted to. Just don't let them think. So he's the example of, uh, you know, my subject, he was got to reading one day and he was alluding to, he was reading the Bible and he started thinking. And rather than arguing or putting thoughts in his head to kind of combat the argument of what he was reading. What I did, I was really smart. I, I made him think I'm getting pretty hungry. It's, it's lunchtime. I should take a break and go get something to eat. Mm. And once I got that thought in his head, he got up and went, yeah, I sh- this is something that's too big to think about on an empty stomach. I really should take a break. And as soon as I got him out the door, he started thinking about the news and he started thinking about all these things and he completely forgot all about wow. it. And I, I'm reading this yesterday afternoon thinking, that is so me. Like, I get distracted so easily, you know, and I thought about so, being sober-minded mm-hmm. and being watchful, mm-hmm. Peter says. And so you got me thinking about this because you mentioned, you know, the sober-mindedness and your diet and, and kind of what you're, what you're doing. Um, I'm tempted when I'm stressed to, to snack on things or become distracted or want to be distracted. And, and the, the key there is stress. So what is stress? But it's part of the suffering that we need to experience for a little while. And there's a legitimate place for food and drink, a la Psalm 104, right. to bring gladness and calmness and refreshment to our lives. But then that's not the problem most Americans have. Right. Because <laughs> I love my Pringles and my Pop-Tarts. Yep. Well. Oh, man. Here we are, Tim. Yeah, we need to do, like, the deeper, 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 deeper cut on this one, I think. Um, we're, we're certainly out of time today. Um, it was a really enjoyable conversation. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Rich, for for being here and, and talking about this and thinking about this. This is... To me, this is exactly what Peter is telling us to do. This is one way for us to do it, right? 
Um, we kind of started the podcast off today by saying that our, our goal, at least in part in having this podcast, is so that way we can think about these things, what, what God has spoken to his people on Sunday from the pulpit, and to digest them and to try to live them out better. So I hope that this conversation, I hope you hung with us um, and that it was helpful to you and um, stimulating. Um, if you haven't listened to the sermon from this Sunday, I would really encourage you to go back and do that and, um, and then maybe re-listen to the podcast <laughs> episode uh-huh. again. Or better yet, join us next week for our next recording. It's next week is uh, it's going to be a good one. So, and, and just, I, I, I have, I have a hunch that it's going to be a, a good one and a challenging one. Mm. And, um, so yeah, I'm excited about next week. Well, we look forward to that. Um, as always, I'm going to make my plug again, please. You're welcome to join us. If you're in the area or part of Mercy Hill, just reach out and we'll come to you. Um, or we would happy to have you here in the studio, Rich, we'd love to have you back, um, as your as your schedule permits and you know we'll we'll uh talk offline and see <laughs> see what you thought you maybe you don't want to um come back but we would love to have you and we really appreciate um what you brought to our conversation today and for all of you listeners out there um we pray as always that this conversation would be a blessing to you that god would use it um in your lives and uh we look forward to being with you again next week mm-hmm.